the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Chapter 14, and we're going to finish out chapter 14 tonight. And once we finish this chapter, we will never, ever come back to it again. So just keep that, keep that in mind. Uh, you have uh, my promise on that. No, I'm kidding you because it, it, we are going through uh, slowly, but there's so much in here. And uh, one thing, if you, if you don't take away from Revelation this, then I have completely failed. And uh, don't tell me after the service if I've completely failed. But uh, you should take away this, this truth that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ very far in advance from any of the darkness of this book. This book has been in print for 2,000 years. So you really can't get upset at God for not telling you. He told you way, 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 way in advance, and he has given us 2,000 years to prepare ourselves to avoid the wrath of God. And God loves mankind, and we'll see tonight the two sides of God's personality, of God's character. But uh, you, you ought to take away from the fact, and I've heard folks say sometimes, the book of Revelation scares me. Well, if Revelation scares you, then God scares you. Because it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's saying, this is what's important to me as God. And so I want to tell you what's important to, to me. And if you're scared by Revelation, you don't understand what it is that God's telling you in Revelation. He's saying, here's a way to get out from underneath my wrath, to get away from it, and you don't have to be afraid. Uh, there's a lot of scary, uh, horrible things that happen in Revelation. We'll see some of that tonight. But you don't have to be afraid of it because the same God that brings down his wrath is the God who loved you enough to provide a way out of that wrath. So Revelation 14 is where we are. Let's, uh, let's look at it quickly. You have a beginning. You have uh, the 144,000. And remember, this chapter 14 is a parenthesis in the middle of the chronology. The timeline is kind of like, we'll be back after these messages. And these are the messages. He's, he's giving us a little bit of a commercial, a parenthesis in the middle of the action. Okay, And so he tells us about the 144,000 who have been ministering in the first half of the tribulation. They've been going everywhere, preaching the word. And, uh, and then we find in verses 6 and 7, the first angel, he has this everlasting gospel that he declares uh, concerning belief. And then verse 8, you have the second angel who talks about Babylon. And then you have in verse, uh, verses 9 to 11, the third angel who warns about the beast, the beast and his image. And then you have in chapter 14, 12, and 13, the Spirit of God here reminds us, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And he says, blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Now, we talk about this sometimes uh, when people die, when Christians die. But this is specifically talking about people in the tribulation period. And he says, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. So they finally have a chance to rest after the great toil of the tribulation. And then verses 14 to 16, we looked at last week, talking about the first harvest that has to do with grain that's stored in a barn, wheat, 
And uh, this is not the rapture of the church, but this is a grain harvest. And you can see how there's one like unto the Son of Man. He has a sharp sickle, and he says, thrust, verse 15, thrust in thy sickle and reap. For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he does that. But then there's another harvest. And the second harvest has to do with grapes that are trodden down. So the first harvest has to do with the removal of people from the earth, the removal out of the earth of these people sometime before the last part of the chapter, which is the grape harvest. It is Armageddon, prophetically speaking. That's, that's uh, what it is. When you, we'll see that later. But there is a harvest before that last part of the harvest. So it's important to keep in mind those two things. And you'll know when you go to Matthew 13, as we looked at last week in Matthew 24 and 25, you'll be able to see the distinction, the wheat and the tares, <clears throat> excuse me, and how uh, there is a harvest, a catching out. So uh, what you find is the second part of the harvest is what we're going to look at tonight, the grape harvest. Uh, we called it, um, I, I borrowed this from someone else and I couldn't help but use it, the gloriousness of the great grain harvest and the goriness of the grape harvest. And that's what we'll look at tonight. So there's a grain harvest or wheat harvest of the first part there. And now this is a gathering as well. It's a gathering of tribulation saints uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, tribulation sinners to Armageddon. And this grain harvest has two stages, the gathering and the treading. And how do we know that? Well, let's read it. Let's read in verses 17 to 20. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. So this is an additional angel with a sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city. And blood came out of the winepress, even under the horse bridles, by the space of a thousand and six hundred furlongs. So we'll start here with letter A, the gathering of the cluster of the vine of the earth. The clusters of the vine of the earth. Notice, it is the clusters of the vine of the earth. So the earth has a vine. And that vine has clusters. It's the gathering of the clusters of the vine of the earth. And so the first part is the gathering. The second part is the treading. So who is the vine of the earth? Well, Jesus said in John chapter 15, I am the what? I am the true vine and my father's a husbandman. And then he went on to say in verse 5, he said, I am the vine. But he is the only one that is the true vine in John 15. The true vine. Let's take our Bibles and look at the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 32. There's a, a big connection in Deuteronomy 32. This song of Moses is sung again in the tribulation period. And there are multiple references in, the, in this song with the tribulation period. Je Deuteronomy chapter 32 Look at verse number 31. 
32-31. He said, for their rock is not as our rock. Notice the difference in rocks there. One is lowercase. One is uppercase. Even our enemies themselves being judges, for their vine is of the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Where did that vine grow? In Sodom and Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. So we have here a contrast between the true rock and the false rock. The devil is a great counterfeiter, and he, he tries to counterfeit everything that God does. And his people do the same. So you had in uh, Pharaoh's court, Moses came, and he told Aaron, cast down your rod, and it became a serpent. So what did Pharaoh do? Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. And they imitated. And by the way, uh, be careful with that. Be careful of the Bible says over there in 2 Timothy, he said, they, they Janus and Jambres withstood Moses. And he said, so, so also do these men resist the truth. He said that what they did was they resisted the truth. And how does the devil resist the truth? He resists the truth by counterfeiting it. So what he does is he says, well, yeah, that may, I mean, that might be something that's a sign from God, but I can do the same thing. What, did he, what he does is relativizes it. He says, well, I can, give you, I can give you a reason why that happened. It had nothing to do with God. And he kept doing that over and over again. Remember, the, these magicians counterfeited or imitated the miracles that Moses or Aaron did. And then there came a point, remember when the lice came? And the magicians tried to do it. They tried to imitate it, and they could not. And what did the magicians say? They said, this is the finger of God. But at that point, it was too late. The Bible says Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Why? The magicians taught Pharaoh how to harden his heart. Be careful, be careful that you don't relativize what God's doing in your life. It's called resisting the truth. Now, I'm not saying that every time you see somebody on, on TV saying, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, be healed in the name of, that, that's God, that's God. No, you go to the Bible and you see whether or not these things are of God. You try the spirits. But we've got to be careful, Bible believers, that we don't get so cynical that we relativize away the things that God is doing and working in people's hearts and lives. Let me ask you, when's the last time you felt the genuine nudge of God? You felt the Holy Spirit reminding you of something. We get very cynical. We get very stale as we go on our Christian walk. And if, if we're not careful, we start relativizing what God does in other people's lives. Why? Because we haven't felt anything from God in a long time. We haven't been in connection. So we start playing it down. And then what happens is we can teach people how to relativize the truth of God. And then we want to say, no, 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 you need to listen to God. It's too late. Their heart is going to be hardened. So keep that in mind as far as the counterfeiting. But what did he say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10? Who was the rock? Capital R. It's Christ. That rock was Christ. So there's a true rock and there's a false rock. There, there is a, a true vine and there is a false vine. Their vine in verse 32 is the vine of Sodom. 
So when Jesus walked into the temple and he said, I am the, I'm the true vine, the Jews understood what he was saying. They would have understood that that was the, in contrast to the vine of Sodom. The clusters now, the clusters of the vine, are the people who follow Satan, who follow the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. They're the fruit of the vine. So you have the vine, and he said, ye, Jesus said, I'm the true vine, ye are the branches. And so that means for you and I, uh, we are the fruit of the true vine. For Satan, Satan also has this vine, and he has fruit. Here we have the clusters of the vine of the earth. And these are the folks that follow the fruit of the false vine. And these are fully ripe grapes. Fully ripe. That means they're time, it's time to harvest them. The Bible uses that term uh, perfect, referring to ripe grapes. Just in case you're wondering what the Bible definition of perfect is, it's mature, it's having reached its full potential. Right? So when you see the word perfect in the Bible, it's not referring to being sinless. You and I are not capable in our old nature, having this old nature, we're not capable of being sinless, although we don't have to sin. Uh, we still have access to that sin nature, and we use it on a regular basis. But perfect is not sinless. It means ripe. It means prepared. It means mature. So here we have this, the, these grapes that are fully ripe. The, the evil has reached a point of consummation. They, you know, it's God is has said, you know what? I'm tired of you pushing back against me, defying me. I'm done, and I'm gonna. I, it's, I'm bringing this sickle, and I'm cutting you off. But notice that back to chapter 14, the thrusting of the sickle is not the uh, the the judgment. It's the preparation for the judgment. So we think about the uh, the grim reaper. And we think, oh, the Grim Reaper is coming. By the way, this is where we get this idea of the Grim Reaper, the sickle. And uh, so the Grim Reaper comes by, and what is it? Well, he's going to harvest. No, it's a lot worse than the Grim Reaper. This is the first part of it. He cuts the grapes, the vine, he cuts it off so he can bring it. So the thrusting in of the sickle is the gathering. Look at what he says, verse number 18. Another angel came out. He says, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. So it's got the vine of the earth and the clusters. And we're going to see how he does indeed gather in Satan himself. Not at this direct point, but he is going to be bound and uh, bound for a thousand years. Okay, so we have the, the vine that's gathered and, and uh, that's what this is referring to. What, what, what he's talking about is these followers of the dragon, the beast, false prophet, these followers are gathered to a place called Armageddon. And that's prophetically what he's speaking of. The armies are gathered there to fight in the final war, this final battle before the second coming of Christ. Let's, let's answer, excuse me, let's, let's ask some uh, question here. Why are these armies assembled? There are reasons. There are reasons. The first one is found in Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2. This is the reasons. First of all, is because of the hatred and pride of the nations. This is why God gathers them. 
says in Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? And they answer the question. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. So we have the gathering of these rulers and kings in Revelation 14. They take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying. Who is that? That's against the Lord. Jesus Christ is the anointed one. He's the Messiah. Saying, this is what the kings and the rulers say. Let us break their bands asunder. And cast away their cords. Notice, that, did you see the, the um, Trinity in verse number three? The rulers and the kings are saying, let us break their bands. Whose bands? The Lord and his anointed. You've got God the Father, you've got God the Son in verse number two. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So let, let's get a picture real quick. Uh, does, does anyone here ever own an ant farm? Do you ever have an ant farm? Okay, I was never allowed to have an ant farm on the bus growing up. I don't know what the big deal was. Uh, we were an ant farm, basically. But we, 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 we're, you have this ant farm, and you have uh, clear plastic on both sides. You can watch the ants burrow down in, and you, you know, put things in there, food, twigs or leaves or whatever. And you're watching them, and they're interesting, and you know, they're busy. They're in there. You know, I don't like to work, but I like to watch the ants work. And there they go. And then you, one day, you're looking at these ants in the ant farm, and you see them all huddled together. And so you put a little microphone down there to try to hear what they're saying. You know what they're saying? They're saying, now listen, guys. We know where the food comes from. We know that one of these days, he's going to take that cover off the hole right up there, and he's going he's gonna to put his hand in there, and he's going to give us some food. And that's when we strike. That's the moment when he opens that up. Guys, I want you to get him. Now, you say that really is stupid. Well, look what the Lord says. Verse number four. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. This is, is humorous to him. As humorous as it would be if the ants formed a union against you in your ant farm. You would just think it was hilarious. You might even think it's cute. I don't think that God thinks it's cute in any way. But he does laugh. And you know what's interesting is, you don't see the Lord laugh very often. He doesn't laugh. In fact, uh, unless I miss my guess, I don't think there's any place in the Gospels, in his earthly ministry, where you see Jesus laugh. I know that he is, uh, of course, he has his father, his father's pleased with him. But it's an interesting question. If you find one, let me know. Uh, but there are times when he, we know that in, in the future, he will rejoice. There was time where he had joy, but laughing. Interesting that he is laughing here. Why? He's laughing because what is humor? Humor is most often the unexpected or the absurd out of the blue. That's why we laugh at things. I could tell you some crazy jokes, not the time because of the topic that we're in here. But it's because we don't expect it. Or because it's something that's so, it's such a non sequitur, it does not lead to that. There's no way in the world. What God has done, if there's anyone that should be ready to bring judgment, it's not the people of the earth against God. If there's anyone that says, I'm getting tired of all this, it shouldn't be the people talking about God. It's actually the other way around. It's the opposite. 
And here's the Lord laughs and says, Then, verse number 5, shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. So the first reason is because of the hatred and pride of the nations. That's why they're coming together. They believe that they can complete, they're sick and tired of it. And they're going to wipe Israel off the map. They're tired of it. I'm sick of This is stupid. What are we letting this tiny country do? They're so full of hatred. They're so full of pride. Uh, it's easy to see how that could happen, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm surprised that the, nation, our, the nations of the world have not already lined up against Israel, considering how they all think alike. People have asked me, what do you think? Are we close to the end? I'll tell you, I, I don't know when the rapture is going to happen. I know this. The devil is pushing, 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 pushing. Why? He wants to disprove the word of God. He's going to make it. So he, he wants to make it to where the Bible doesn't come true. And yet he's in the ant farm with the ants. It's going to happen the way God says, regardless. But I think the devil's always been ready. Always been ready. And people say, well, there's wars and rumors of wars. There's been wars and rumors of wars since mankind has been around. And there always will be. You know, if you're the kind of person that tracks, well, there's more earthquakes now. I, I, I just, I, I think you got to be careful with that. How do I know that the Lord's coming back? Because he said he's coming back. Not because the news said he's coming back. And I saw articles on MSN. What, re, things we know about Jesus' return. You know, and, 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 you know, the religious section. And some of it was good. Some of it was just, just crazy. But, you know, we have to be careful that we don't take our cue from what the world says is really wild and important. We take our cue from the Bible. We stay here. And if it doesn't excite you, there's something wrong with you. Nothing wrong with God. Stick, let your life be pressed down into this thing instead of trying to take your ideas and you know, force them into Scripture. But here, it's amazing as I look at, at, at you know, people marking the houses of Jews. Have you seen that? All over the world, people are putting stars of David on the neighbors of their, of their, their Jewish neighbors on their homes. Why? They're saying these are the bad people. If, there, if you don't need another reason to believe the Bible is true, look at the Jewish nation. What, what beef does everybody have with the Jews? They're God's people. And here, they are coming up against, uh, we'll study Armageddon later, but that's the first reason. Here's the second reason. Uh, go to Revelation 16. Revelation 16. Let's look at the second reason. It's because of the deception of Satan. This is why they're coming. Here is a crazy thought. Why does the devil not stop? Why does he not stop attacking God? For the same reason he ever stopped worshiping God. He thinks he's just as good as God. And he says, history is not written yet. It's not over yet. I still have a chance. I'm gonna, look what he says in verse 13. 16, 13. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. You see, what, de- what, the, what Satan's doing, he's gathering them all there to destroy Israel, knowing that they're God's people and knowing that God will protect them. And he wants to provoke God to come down and protect them. And in so doing, he wants God to make himself vulnerable. Come down out of your castle up there, God, and I got enough people and we will beat you. 
This is a time, it's just not just a physical war. This is a spiritual war. Do you see the spirits of devils that went? And he said, I'm betting on the fact I got enough of my posse. We can take you down. Wow. I just, I can't believe it. But you know what that tells us? When your heart is not humble before God, you are capable of any satanic behavior. You are capable of being deceived to the point you think you could actually beat God. And that's what he thinks. And God is, God is using, in fact, that's our next point. Why is this happening? Why will they actually assemble themselves? Because God wants them there. God wants them there. I want to take, take your Bibles. Let's go to the Old Testament and look at Isaiah. I'm going to look at several references here tonight. Isaiah uh, 34. Isaiah 34. It's just past Psalms 34. Look at uh, verse 2. Man, the idea of replacing Israel and God's done with Israel and all that. There's a whole lot of the Old Testament that you just got to chuck if you, if you believe that. He just doesn't stop talking about it. Look at 34.2. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. He hath utterly destroyed them. He hath delivered them to the slaughter. Uh, yes, I have a delivery. I have all the armies of the world. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Can you please sign here? Yes. And he takes it and he says, thank you. And he goes, who was that? That was God. He delivered all the nations to Armageddon. God's the one that's bringing them there. Look at Joel. Joel, over to the uh, little books over to the right. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel. Look at Joel chapter 3. Joel 3, verse number 2. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted my land. Notice that? There's a whole lot more of Israel that God is going to give back to them. And who have they, who's been parting it? It's been all these Gentiles that have done it. But the Lord said, I'll gather them and I'll bring them down. Look at Zephaniah. Keep going over to the right. Zephaniah. Look at chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. So you see how the, the gathering is happening? God is gathering all of these nations. Look at Zechariah chapter 14. Keep going. Zechariah chapter 14. And look at verse 2. 14.2. He says, For I will gather, this is the day of the Lord, verse 1, the day of the Lord cometh. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity. What in the world? Are we, did we just see that happen? Man, it seems like it. You can certainly see how it's going to happen. The house is rifled, the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. 
That's just amazing to me. And if you go through, and I won't talk, but if you go and look at Gaza in the Old Testament, and, then, and especially there in the Minor Prophets, it's, it's freaky how close it reminds me. And it's, again, that's not happened. That's, that's not what this is referring to. But isn't it interesting that it just keeps coming up? It just keeps happening. And it's because God intends to work. Now, let me say this. For those of you that, at the very least, you're getting something out of these minor prophets. When you mark this, put down Day of the Lord or put down uh, Armageddon or something like that so that when you're coming back through, you can remember, oh, that's what that's talking about. And it just kind of reminds you. Because if you're like me, I burn through the scripture. Man, that was good. And I forget it. So you got to keep going back through. Make, make a note. And then let's look at one more. 16. Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. And look what he says in verse 16. And it says, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. He gathered them. The Lord is the one that's behind all of this. Don't think for a minute that God is, is not aware. So we have first the gathering of the, vine, of the vine of the earth, the clusters of the vine of the earth, and then letter B is the treading of the winepress. Flip back to chapter 14. Look at verse 20. It says, The winepress was trodden without the city. That means outside the city. It's, the city is what city? It's Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Keep that, keep that in mind. We'll use that later, uh, not tonight. Outside of Jerusalem, the winepress was trodden and blood came out of the winepress. So first we have the winepress. Now I want you to picture something maybe the size of a kiddie pool, maybe 10 foot in diameter, something like that. And uh, not in, you know, incredibly deep, but something that's circular. And many of them would have like an empty space in the middle that was, you know, it, it wasn't in just a whole huge bowl. But, and then there would be spigots on the outside of this bowl. And they would dump a bunch of grapes in there. And then someone would take off their shoes and socks and they would jump in there and just start smashing them down. And then as they crushed and trampled those grapes, the juice would come out the fruit of the vine, and it would be uh, poured out into these little bottles, like a leather bottle or uh, some type of you know, pottery, whatever, and they would store that. And, and that is the picture here. So the Jews knew all about this. And there were different kinds of wine presses, apparently. But the Lord said, this, was one, this is one that I did on my own. He said, I'm going to do this. All right, so that's the wine press. And then the treader, the treader is a person who would, uh, they would gird up their loins. In the Bible, girding up your loins is you would take the robe that you had and you would wrap it around your legs underneath, pull it up and tie it around yourself so that your legs were free to move. <clears throat> that's called girding up your loins. And that's what they would do. They would get in there uh, and, and begin to stomp on the grapes get into that little pool. So then here, that's, that, that's the picture of what, what Christ is doing. He's getting into this wine press, and that wine press is the area called Armageddon. He's gathering all the... Look at chapter 19, verse 19, Revelation 19. Look at verse, uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. 13. 
It says, he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And then verse uh, 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So you have two things that are going. The Word of God is coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. By the way, that's how we know that the Spirit and the Word are the same. This is what's coming out of his mouth. It's the Word of God. And it is killing all of these, all of these armies. And the blood is, is just piling up. So that's what, what ends up happening is number three, the river of blood. Because the Lord Jesus Christ himself is, is treading on them. And I don't know exactly how all of this works. Uh, I just know that those are the different parts of it. The sword is happening, and then the treading of the winepress. The little ants are, you know, they're fighting, waving their sticks and guns, but they can't do anything. Uh, Armageddon itself, the winepress here, is about 180 miles long, 10 miles wide. And uh, it is, it's a crazy thought to think how much blood that would be. Let's go, let's go to back to, uh, let's look at what several prophets have said. The witness of the prophets. Isaiah chapter 63. Isaiah 63. Um, he's, he, he, the questions are being asked here in Isaiah 63. Who is this that cometh from Edom? Which, by the way, is, is the area where um, Job was during the tribulation. Who is this that cometh from Edom? With dyed garments from Basra. This, that's south of, uh, south of the Dead Sea. This that is glorious in his apparel. Glorious in his apparel. Um, when he was here first, he came in human flesh. He looked like you and I. He wore common clothes. But now he is glorious and traveling in the greatness of his strength. That's the question. Here's the answer. I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Question, verse 2. Wherefore art thou red in thine apparel, and thy garments like him that treadeth in the wine fat? Here's the answer. I have trodden the winepress alone, and of the people there was none with me. For I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury. The Bible just, we, we just saw in Revelation 19 how the armies, I don't know if we read that verse, the armies which followed him, right? Now we always think about, oh, we're coming back. We're going to take care of, I don't think so. You know, it's pretty intimidating when you see a soldier dressed up. We're going to be in our new bodies and all that, but I just have this sneaking suspicion. Our first return back to our old home planet, we're going to be a little intimidated. All I know is this. God doesn't need our help at all in destroying all the armies at Armageddon. We're going to be watching him work. We're all dressed in, in lint, fine linen, white and clean, the Bible says. He is red. He is completely soaked in blood. He said, I will tread them in mine anger and trample them in my fury, and their blood shall be sprinkled upon my garments, and I will stain all my raiment. It's not a pretty picture. You say, I can't believe in a God. May I just remind you of this? When Christ was crucified, his robe was covered with blood at, the, at that time as well. 
but it was his own blood. He put up with a whole lot from the human race. He died for the human race. And he offered them salvation freely. And no one here wants it. So don't look harshly at Jesus Christ until you've given your, all of your blood for sinners. Jesus did. And now his blood, their blood is splashing up on his clothes. I mean, blood is just crazy to look at. It's crazy. Because it's, it's just, it's the life of the flesh. And when you see it, you know that's like really, really important stuff. Don't waste it. And here it's getting wasted big time. Look, he says in verse 4, For the day of vengeance is in mine heart. What did he say? He said, avenge not yourselves, for vengeance is whose? Mine. Jesus said that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. And he's repaying. And the year of my redeemed has come. And verse 5, And I looked, and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore, mine own arm brought salvation unto me. Who is he saving here? He's saving Israel. Because Israel is is being attacked. All these nations come up against Jerusalem. And he's coming to save them. This is is what you might call a husband who is protecting his wife. His wife is about to be raped. And this man is going wild. If there's ever a a time to use the term bloodlust, it might be here. Because of Christ coming to defend Israel. His His nation. And it says, I will tread down the people in mine anger and make them drunk in my fury. Drunk. Remember, this is, the, this is the clusters of the vine of the earth. And I will bring down their strength to the earth. I'm going to flatten them. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's important to keep in mind that our God is a God of war. He doesn't have a defense department. He has a war department. He just has a really long fuse. But when he decides that he's going to start a war, nobody can. he doesn't even need anybody. He doesn't need an alliance. He doesn't need the United Nations to okay it. He's going to come down with his armies behind him but he's going to do all the fighting. Look at Jeremiah 30, 25, verse 30. Jeremiah 25, 30. He said, Therefore prophesy thou against them all these words, and say unto them, The Lord shall roar from on high. Now, I wouldn't want to, I want to uh, bother the contented Christians tonight, but if I were to roar right now, it would scare you. And don't think I couldn't do it. <laughs> but you, what, what do you think about the Lord of the universe roaring? the lion of the tribe of Judah. Doesn't sound like the lowly, meek Nazarene, does it? We're talking about what we would say a man's man, but that's, this is a man's God who is roaring. And it says, and utter his voice from his holy habitation. He's been yelling ever since he left heaven. He shall mightily roar upon his habitation. He shall give a shout as they that tread the grapes against all the inhabitants of the earth. Hmm. Let's keep going to Joel, the book of Joel, over to the right. Joel chapter 3. 
So we heard David, we heard Isaiah, heard Jeremiah. Here's Joel. He says, in those, Behold, in those days, and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather, by the way, remember Job? He prayed for his friends, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. Uh, this is uh, bringing the captivity again of Judah and Jerusalem. I will also gather all nations and will bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat and will plead with them there for my people and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and part of my land. We look at that already. Look at verse 12. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Verse 13. Put ye in the sickle. For the harvest is ripe. Get you down, for the press is full. The fats overflow, for their wickedness is great. And then he says, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now, sometimes we think of that. We see, you know, missionaries talking about there's multitudes who uh, need to make a decision for Christ. And I understand that. But what he's talking about is this. I'm going to render my decision... As a judge, I'm going to bring all of you, and you will hear my decision. My decision is, you're all going to die. That's it. Multitudes in the valley of decision. By the way, this is why we can't be just like nominal, shallow Christians. Because we're talking about, this is like a real God that does this. And you either allegorize this and say, it's not really, I can't believe in a God, blah, blah, blah. I understand that because it's uncomfortable. You know why? Because we all just want to just kind of chill. Like everybody just wants to relax. I don't want problems with my neighbor. I don't want problems with it. But you know, there's a reason why John Quinones has that show, What Would You Do? Because it's a hidden camera show and someone will do something that's really immoral or wrong or someone needs to say something and, and he, he watches people. Have you seen this show? He'll show people as they sit there and they do nothing. Why? We would rather something happen that's wrong and not get involved as long as it doesn't bother us. You know, that's been going on since mankind has been around, right? I mean, that's what Adam did with Eve. Eve was talking to the serpent. What did Adam do? He didn't do what he should have done. He should have been keeping and protecting his wife, but he didn't. See, this is what we do as humans. We let stuff go on. We complain about it to other people that can do nothing about it. And we just let it go and don't say anything. And by the way, this is part of the reason for the corruption of our society. Parents won't say, stop it, and mean it. Neighbors won't say to neighbors, don't do that, and mean it. Well, I don't want to be that kind of person. Well, let me ask you this question. Every time that there's an injustice done, what happens Does it just get forgotten? No. The Lord takes note of every injustice. This is where this vengeance is coming from. It's coming from the people who who steal and get off. People who rip off everyone's retirement in in their hedge fund. They'd completely set up a pyramid scheme and rip millions of people off. And what happens? They get a slap on the wrist and they have to go to their island, the Caribbean. Right? This, this is where all the people who, who have lied and gotten away from it, all the people who have uh, beaten someone up and gotten away, hit and run accidents, 
People who have, who have molested and taken advantage of other humans, raped them, and gotten off, and no one found out. Where's all this going? It's all going to the Battle of Armageddon. The Lord is going to wipe the slate clean with the blood of wicked humans. And it, it's not comfortable. I'd just rather it not be. Which is, by the way, that same reticence to send anyone to you know, capital punishment for murder and rape and the whole nine yards. It's the same reason why we have corruption. It's the corruption of the human heart. I want to hold your face in this just for a moment and think about the vengeance and the wrath of Almighty God. He is not okay with sin. You and I are okay with sin, but he's not. And he is really not okay with people messing with Israel. So look at Joel chapter 16. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 16. It says again, The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. And the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. I want to ask you some questions as we get ready to close tonight. Isaiah 33, 14. Who among us shall dwell with the devouring fire? Who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings? You know who's going to dwell with that? You know who's going to make it through? His people. Psalm 90, 11. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Psalm 76, 7. Who may stand in thy sight when once thou art angry? Nahum. Chapter 1, verse 6. Who can stand before his indignation? And who can abide in the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Malachi 3, verse 2. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. Revelation 6.17, for the great day of his wrath has come. And who shall be able to stand? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Now listen, I know this has been heavy tonight. And I, 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 going through Revelation, I know that sometimes <laughs> some of you got to think, man, I've got to go back to church and talk about how terrible everything's going to be in the future. But I, I want to encourage you to think about this. You, you, we love to talk about love and grace and, and mercy and, we're, and forgiveness and thank God for it. But you can't understand God's love unless you understand God's hate. You, you can't understand the grace of God unless you understand the law of God. You can't understand the forgiveness of sin if you don't understand the penalty for sin. If God didn't have wrath and anger, he would not be a God that you like. He wouldn't. He would be corrupt. On one hand, God is perfect love. On the other hand, God is perfect hate. Not like you and I have. We hate things that we hate and then we might change tomorrow. God is the same. If I were to take you to the place in the Bible, the number one place, the greatest example of God's wrath, you know where I'd take you? To the cross. Why? He said, he hath made him to be sin for us. So Jesus Christ experienced the wrath of God more than anyone at Armageddon will. You know, if I had to take you to the place where, where God 
showed his love more than any other place? It would be the cross. It would be the cross. Why? You can't have the love of God without the hate of God, the hatred. You can't comprehend God's hatred for sin or appreciate God's love without the cross. They're two sides of the same coin. They meet together and they fit perfectly. Because the cross is where God's wrath and God's love was poured out. Your eternal destiny and mine is determined by what we do with his son hanging on that cross. That's where God's love and God's wrath, it determines for us whether we'll be the object of God's wrath for all of eternity or the object of God's love for all eternity. It's all because of the cross. If you don't want his love, if you don't want his mercy, if you don't want his grace, then you will get his hatred and you will get his vengeance and his wrath. But the Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, live. You know, sometimes you got to be a little bit afraid of God before you'll start listening to him. Once you realize that God has the power to take your life anytime he wants, and you and I are living on grace every day of our life, every breath we have is nothing more than the grace of God. Then you start appreciating the God who would give us that grace and that would give us people, give love to people like us. And I would encourage you to think about this. It could be some of your neighbors or friends or relatives might end up at the Battle of Armageddon. I don't know. I don't know if the Lord's coming back in the next year, five years, ten years. I don't know. I certainly seem to think that it's got to be soon. But I, know, I don't know. There's no date in the Bible. All I know is this. Somebody that someone loves is going to get wiped out by Jesus Christ at this battle. And you and I have an opportunity to keep people out of this battle. We have an opportunity to keep maybe the grandkids of somebody that's going to be in that battle. How do we do it? We bring them to the cross. And don't be so afraid. Here's the thing. The gospel is not Jesus loves you and he wants to make your life better. That's not the gospel. The gospel is the death of Jesus Christ and his burial under the ground. Why? For sin. A bloody, robe-stained death. That's what he experienced. I don't know that. Because they beat him with a scourge. They put the robe back on him. He went up, took the robe off of him. He was, they took the robe off and the soldiers parted it in four. You know, in, 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 right. Listen, Jesus Christ shed his blood. And we need to tell people, he died a horrible death, but then he resurrected. And what is that? That reminds us, that tells us, it proves to us that he was innocent of the charges for which he died. He is the son of God. He paid for our sins, but he wasn't guilty of those charges. So getting the gospel to someone, you've got to remember that wrath of God part. Don't rush past it so quick trying to get to the good stuff. Because there is no good stuff without the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. Once people recognize that they're a sinner, they start looking to him as the Savior. By the law is the knowledge of sin. And the knowledge of sin causes me to say, where is salvation? I've got to have something from God. God, help me. So if you want to pray for anything, for your neighbors, you've got some hard, hard neighbors, friends, relatives, here's what I would pray. Lord, freak them out of their skull. That's what I would pray. Lord, scare them to death, but don't kill them. 
show them how wicked they are and how they're hanging over hell like like uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards said, like a, a, a loathsome insect that you would throw into the fire. They got a spider that you're about to throw in the fire. That's how God's holding them. He's going to throw them in hell without Jesus. You say, well, I can't believe in a God like that. Listen, you, you better. That's the Bible. That's what the Bible to- teaches us about God. But the beauty of the gospel is that God not only punished the sin, he paid for sin. You can't get a better deal anywhere. There's no religion that has anything like this. Why? It's all fake. It's all counterfeit. There's only one true way to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Christian, if you get bored with that, you're not thinking. If you're like, oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, no, let's pray and get out of here. We're going to. But I want you to keep in mind, God, God uses the parts of God that we don't like to remind us that we're not him. And we don't have it all figured out. And maybe tonight when we go to prayer, you need to ask God to renew your vision of the power of God and the anger of God against sin. So that when we pray to him, we say, our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Not my kingdom, thy kingdom. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, when the Lord comes back to earth, one of the first things he's going to do, I mean, as far as we can tell, we saw the harvest first of the tribulation saints, but he's in the clouds there. Here, he comes back to the earth. The Bible says he stands on the Mount of Olives. He's coming back to this valley of Jehoshaphat. And what does he do? Judge. Judge. Hey, let's pray. God, help me to prepare someone for your coming kingdom. Help me to help that person be ready for when you return. I don't know about you. I'd rather be behind him than in front of him on that day. And I know God will help us as we try to get the gospel out. Let's pray too. You know, this Saturday we're going to have a whole bunch of men and women that come. And uh, we, we need to take it up a notch from our American patriotism. That's a great place. You can't ask for a better nation, a better military. You can't ask for a better culture. I'd prefer this one above all. But unsaved people have that as well. You and I have a notch above that, which is called the kingdom of his dear son. And we need to ask God to help us to have that mindset as they come, the workers that are here. God, save somebody. God, speak to their heart. God, I want them to know I love them and thank them for their service, but I want them to be saved. I don't want them to be lost forever. And you that are not going to be there, you need to take some time that night. There's going to be football on, you know, fun, friend, cooking out, whatever we're going to do. But take some time during the day of honor and say, maybe you go on your knees, set a timer or a reminder on your phone to remember to pray. Lord, please, please don't let these men and women die and go to hell. Do something in their hearts and their minds. Use Brother Cheney as he speaks to them. Help them to open up their hearts. We're going to give each one of them a book uh, called Paid in Full. It's uh, similar to the Dunn book, uh, but it's, it's another one. And it talks about the gospel in very clear terms. We're going to give each one. And listen, don't be surprised if God doesn't do anything if we don't expect him to do anything. He wants to save people. He's going to use you and I to give people the gospel and he wants to save them. So let's pray that direction. Now let's turn our attention to the prayer list here before we go.